I'm Maike, psychologist and synesthesia artist. I have many types of synesthesia and this is me documenting my journey of learning more about it. So I'm meeting synesthesia scientists, book authors, musicians and people on the autistic spectrum to just have a chat about what synesthesia is and what it's like to have synesthesia. So come along and let's meet today's guest. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to a new episode. We're going to talk to Aurora today. Hi, Aurora. Hi. So nice to meet you. We're going to talk about a different kind of synesthesia today, one that I don't have, but somehow it's very easy for me to relate to it. It will be all about mirror touch, mirror pain. I found Aurora when she shared a video or someone else shared a video of you that you've recorded with the BBC just recently. That's so cool. Yes, um, thank you. And then I reached out to you and we scheduled a call. So thank you for your time. My pleasure. I'm, I'm very happy to, to talk about synesthesia. So cool. Okay, can you tell us a bit about yourself? Where did you grow up? Where do you live now? Or where are you recording from? Yes, so I grew up uh, near Paris in France. And I now live in uh, Vancouver. I came here like to get back to my studies. I wanted for years. I wanted to um, study film production because I used to be a journalist and I'm also a documentary filmmaker. But I I wanted to add like fiction to my skills. But now I work uh, in Vancouver as a documentary filmmaker, uh, editor, and translator. Oh, that's so cool! You know what I learned uh, in film school kind of open some new creative ways to like uh, represent reality when I, I make documentaries. I'm just realizing now it's we will later learn that movies is one of the things you and I tend to avoid like certain kinds of movies but it's so interesting that you are in that field professionally. Yeah. I, I imagine like the movies you produce are not showing any violence. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> Your productions will be highly appreciated by the Mirror Touch um, community. community. Yes, <laughs> I'll make I'll make movies for us. <laughs> That's amazing for the two percent minority. I mean, like there are like I think it's uh, seventeen as much as seventeen percent of people have mirror pain. So there are you know there is quite an audience there. <laughs> so I mentioned the uh, short documentary you did with BBC when I introduced you. Do you want to tell us how this came about? Yes. So they're like, they put a um, kind of a job offer. Um, they were looking for a pitch to make videos about empathy mm. uh, in general. And I've been like uh, wanting to make a documentary about Mirotocinicida for about five years. So I like jumped on the, the opportunity and like pitched Mirotouch and Mirotouch synesthesia to them. And yeah, that's how we work together. Super cool. I will put the link in the info box so people can watch it. I wish they made it longer. I think it's just like four to five minutes. Yeah, my idea is like, I, I really want to make a feature length documentary about the subject because it is so, I find it like endlessly fascinating and interesting. And there is so much to say and so much even to learn still about the subject. And so little people know about this condition that I, yeah, my aim is really to to turn this tiny little documentary into where I can like explore the subject more in depth and meet more people with Meritage and meet more like scientists that are researching it. Yeah, 100%. That would be awesome. Mm -hmm. So it is a bit different to the forms of synesthesia that we had discussed on the previous episodes. Like we had a lot of this stimulus leads to, <laughs> is translated into color, shapes or forms. We had James Warnerton and Brady Achtemeyer talking about how, what they experience, like words and books are translated into taste. And for other people, it's like letters or music is translated into shapes and forms and colors. And then for mirror touch, it is, even though it's no doubt a form of synesthesia, it, the mechanism is a bit different. 
maybe you can give us like a brief definition or it doesn't even have to be brief. Just tell us what is mirror touch and mirror pain and then we can talk about what it is for you personally after we've understood what it is. So yeah, mirror touch synesthesia is when you like feel in your body what you uh, see on other people. So for instance, um, if you touch your arm, I will feel that touch on my arm. And mirror pain is like this exact thing, but focused on pain only. And it's the form I have, fortunately. So I don't, I don't really like feel things like people scratching their arms or anything. But if I see someone in pain, whether it's uh, physically or emotionally, I will feel it in my body very strongly. That's fascinating, but it's also, it must be so hard. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's a bit tricky to to deal with. And still now I'm like, I'm 35 now and I still haven't found a way to actually, you know, deal with it completely. I have um, little tricks, but I, I'm, I'm working very hard to like, Uh, develop a, a way to deal with it better because it can be a bit um ah i have the word in french um <laughs> yeah it can be it can be a bit uh, invasive on a daily basis yeah oh for sure okay to give it a bit more background so we can hear jamie board in the documentary as well and he describes you know what research knows what mirror touch is the mirror systems which are a population of neurons in our brain that normally only respond to what uh, like we touch or what we see and the pain we have. And for people with mirror touch synesthesia, the distinction between the self and the other isn't functioning in the same way. So the mirror system actually reacts to what the other person is doing, even Like most people have the distinction of, okay, no, I'm only going to react to what I'm doing, not what the other person is doing. Would you agree? Did I put it in the right words? <laughs> yeah, I think that's exactly it. Okay, cool. It's like the, the like self-other distinction is like completely blurred, I'd say. So it's hard for you to know like this is not happening to me. So, And it's one of the reasons why it's a bit hard to deal with because it's very hard to convince your brain that like it's not happening to you, you know? Yeah. Um, because that's, that's how you feel. That's how your neurons like give the information to the rest of your being is like, Oh, this is happening and I am in pain. So you have like to de deconstruct this and focus on like, no, this is my body. This is someone else. And I am fine. I am not in pain. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which is a very hard task, especially for a kid, isn't it? Like that's just too much to ask from an individual. Yeah, I think for a kid, it's it's even impossible. I don't I don't know if it is because I no one knew I had that around me when I was a kid. So I don't know if he would have maybe it would have helped a lot if an adult had told me like, oh, this is you, this is someone else, and mm. it's very different, and you can you know uh, make the difference in your own body. And like, I think if someone had like taken me uh, step by step maybe I would have like understood and made progress but it was so little known like 20 years ago and it still is so yeah it's very tricky when you're a kid and also that's what I was saying in the video when you're a kid you you don't know that anyone on earth uh, experiences the world differently than you do you know you think like we're all the same if I feel this like everyone feels this as well but this is like nothing could be farther from the truth so yeah, for like years, I thought I really thought like uh, people around me were had a real issue. Like I, I didn't know there were a sociopath then, but like that's what I thought. I was like, how how on earth are they like able to like bear so much like suffering without even reacting? And and it was a real challenge for me for years, even to like connect with other people and to feel like I belong because I felt so different all the time. I felt like. I don't know, I felt so sad and so, like, injured by things, but people around me were like, oh, no, like, it's fine, you're just being dramatic as usual, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's a little tough when you grow because it's a little tough to hear you're being dramatic when it's your actual, like, emotions and, like, it's something you feel so deeply and people, like, tell you, no, it's not true, like, you're not feeling it, you're pretending to feel it or you're, like, you're making a big fuss about it when it's actually nothing and... But there's no way for you to understand this, you know, until mm -hmm. you actually like, that's why like finding this a book about mirror touch uh, by 
Joel Salinas was like life changing for me because it enabled me to like get out of this circle of like shame in which I was because I, mm -hmm. you know, like people denied. The book he wrote about mirror touch synesthesia, I also read it. Was that how you encountered synesthesia at all? Or yeah. And it's crazy because it, it's so recent. It was like, yeah, a few years ago, I was like, I was living in Australia with a um, journalist and he was specialized in mental health and like neurosciences. And we were like uh, living together. And so my, my technique when I watch a movie is because I never talked about my hypersensitivity to violence and pain because I was ashamed of it. So what I would do is like, uh, uh, if we watch a movie or we, if we have a conversation or hear something that is overwhelming for me, I just like pretend I need to do something in another room and I leave for like a few minutes and then I come back. Yeah, and he told me, he's the first one who ever told me like, it's funny because you leave the room every time there is something like violent on screen. And I'm reading that book by Joel Salinas, Anesthesia, <laughs> and it reminded, like it feels like it seemed to, to struggle with like, pain and I was like whoa <laughs> that that book sounds like uh, amazing so I read the book and it like uh, I cried so much because I felt like you know that that moment when you think like oh I'm not I'm not actually crazy like oh, um, I feel so much for you right now I, I must say it came a bit late in life <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, I wish you had the book at like 15 no that's nice Yeah, me too. But you know, I, uh, it's great for me to like have read it at 15 and not at 75, I guess. So <laughs> for sure, definitely. Mm -hmm. No, it's not too late. Of course, it's still a good age, but just, ah, uh, I just can't imagine the relief. Oh, yeah, it was like mind blowing. And like, you know, like the feeling like to finally belong, even if it's like 2% of the population, I was like, oh, there are, there are people like me, like, there are people who actually experience the world the way I do. And like, I can find them and I can like, I don't know, connect with them. And they'll like truly understand what I, how I like perceive the world. Cause it's such like, you know, it's like, it's crazy how it shapes the, the way you perceive the world. Cause it makes you so sensitive and so empathetic all the time. And yeah. And I think once you read the book, you, or understood what mirror, mirror touch synesthesia is, you not only understood yourself, but you also understood that other people don't have that kind of struggle because before What I understood from how you described your view on other people is that you thought everybody feels the same amount of pain, but they somehow have the ability to live with the pain and you don't have the ability. But then after you read the book, you must have realized that that's actually not the case. Like they don't even feel the pain in the first place. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it was a way, you know, to like also be more compassionate towards myself because like you grow up being so tough on yourself because everyone around you like tells you like, yeah, that's not how you're supposed to be. So you're trying so hard like to be different and you're like come up with like tricks to hide it and also like suppress it, you know, and, and pretend like, yeah. no, I'm fine. I'm like everybody else. I'm like everybody else. Everything is fine. Yeah. But it's like, it's not a very healthy approach to life and even to yourself, you know? So what, what that did is was like, it, it gave me like room to be compassionate towards myself, towards mm -hmm. my brain. And it was like, yeah, it was a very like soothing step towards like kindness and love, like for, yeah, my difference, I guess. Can you give us a couple of examples? So for example, when you watch a movie or when you see someone being hit, I don't know, that doesn't happen that often but can you describe what you feel like how realistic is it to the pain you would feel if it would happen to you or is it more I don't know yeah just like maybe you have a couple of examples from maybe your childhood or just recently yeah I think like movies are a great way to like uh, know more about it because you see in, in movies like violence that you would never see in real life I mean within like Two hours, you can see what you might see in an entire, you know, life. Um, yeah. So what happens is that if I, if it's something that I've experienced, for instance, like I've broken a finger when I was a kid. So if I see someone breaking a finger, I have like, I think I have like the memory of the pain in my finger. I, I, I yeah, I, try, I think I try my, uh, I instantly try to like grab my finger, like to, contain the pain to make sure mm -hmm. it doesn't spread and also like I think having like physical touch on it makes me feel like okay uh, my own finger is not actually broken and I am fine 
but there are things that like my brain can fathom for some reason like if someone gets shot uh gunshot i've never i've never been shot but i can i have like i feel like a like very strong blow mm-hmm. and then like spreading pain all, all over my body because you know you've heard we've all heard like narratives about like people who've been shot and explain how it feels yeah even in movies they're like um so i think the there's a lot there's a huge part of like imagination that comes in the thing you know and if you mm-hmm. have like yeah a colorful imagination as i do i don't think it, it helps but and and some things i am unable like to to understand how it would feel and in these instances it, i feel the pain in my belly button starts in my belly button and then it like takes over all my belly uh-huh. and and that's for things that i can't like i can't imagine like i don't know yeah for instance someone like uh, falling from a building i think that's so overwhelming to imagine as like what what the pain would be that like yeah it's just it gets in my body it gets centers in my belly maybe it's my stomach i don't know mm-hmm. no that's super interesting so the pain you've experienced before like you have the memory your brain just goes back to your memory takes that and makes you relive that kind of pain and also when it's a very like local pain the experience is very similar to what the other person probably is experiencing but when it's not when you haven't experienced it before and there is no memory it's this belly button going from there all over your body feeling yeah exactly and i and i i think it's important to say that it's it's pain but to a way lesser level than what like people would feel you know i'm not like when someone i see someone getting shot i'm not like lying on the on the verge of dying you know i i, I feel it very strongly but it might be like I, it's hard to put numbers on that but it's a very like Mm-hmm. but it's still like okay. it's still big enough that it impacts my daily life it's still big enough that i can't watch anything violent so otherwise it like it impacts me too much and it makes me miserable for like days and i think like the issue is that the physical pain uh turns into emotion uh, yeah emotional pain and i think the just the mirror uh, pain feelings turn into empathy somehow and then i i feel emotional pain for the person for being in physical pain and that's when it becomes an issue for me it's because i get overwhelmed with like other people's pain but not physically emotionally mm-hmm. not sure it makes sense but yeah yeah no it, it, it makes sense absolutely it's a lot it is i'm still <laughs> trying to like imagine it if you meet a friend and you sit down in a cafe and your friend tells you that they right now have a very bad stomach ache or a migraine, what would happen? I think it depends on like the level of pain because if it's yeah stomach pain or headaches, uh, I've had them in my life and I don't think they are very like, they don't, they are not too strong to handle. I can handle like, you know, uh, daily pains. Mm-hmm. But, but you I, will I, mirror the pain. Yeah, I will. You know, I have this thing like, but as many people do, I think it's like, it's funny that it only works for this. But like, you know, when you see someone throwing up, Mm -hmm. we all have more or less this like gag reflex as well. And and I have that very strongly, obviously. But the the funniest thing is like, when it's, I I found that quite recently, actually, when it's a case of emergency, I I think my uh, uh, mirror neurons like stop working and my brain is only focusing on like, okay, this is an emergency and we need to deal with that. Like I have this like anecdote when I was in um, Copenhagen with my family, my brother was driving and a a man got hit by a, and he fell on the floor. So I didn't see the scene, but my, so my brother is like, he's trained in first aid. And mm-hmm. so he ran out of the car and he went to help the man. And I, I did the same. You know, it's like you don't really realize you're doing it. You just do it. Mm-hmm. And this guy was like covered in blood and he had like like bad hand and knee injuries. And I was there and I, and I didn't feel anything. I didn't feel any of his pain. I was like, okay, this, I, I mean, I wasn't thinking, but I, I was thinking about it afterwards. And I was like, on the moment, I was like, so much focus on how to help him and like how to like make his like pain stop that like I wasn't like feeling anything in my body so I thought it was like very interesting to see that there is a mechanism in my brain that that is here to 
protect me if I need to survive at some point, which is very soothing because I, I, I always thought, what if there is a, a case of huge emergency and like someone needs saving for me and I, will I be paralyzed? Will I like, mm -hmm. you know, run away because the pain is unbearable? Yeah. It was very soothing to, to know that like, no, I can actually deal with things like if it's actually necessary. So yeah, that was a good, uh, good news for me. Well, yeah, I can imagine that gives a lot of peace of mind. Mm -hmm. Okay. So uh, to go back to the migraine <laughs> or, or the stomach ache, does the other person have to tell you that they have a stomach ache or a migraine or you would just get a headache would you be the person pointing out hey hannah i'm getting a headache right now do you have a headache uh -huh. that would be cool <laughs> <laughs> i mean i don't think it would but that's that's an interesting approach no i actually need like people to to, to share like yeah to share what they're going through so that i know i'm like I'm hypersensitive in general and I'm like hypersensitive to people's like emotions. And so if someone feels a little sick, I can, I think pretty quickly tell. And I often ask like, are you okay? But if they, if they don't tell me, I, I don't guess. I don't like, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. The reason why I'm asking is, yeah, I had a psychotherapist and I saw her because I figured out that I'm highly sensitive But like to emotions, I don't have any, like I don't have mirror pain, synesthesia. But she, by trying to help me understand what my high empathy is, she also told me about other clients she saw and they would like do exactly that. Like they would know the other person had a headache, which <laughs> I found unbelievable. <laughs> But then one day my boyfriend went out uh, for drinks and the next day I had a hangover and and that kind of stuff made me yeah it, it confuses me a lot because <laughs> because I I didn't think that this was possible mm, interesting yeah I didn't know either I didn't I I, I never heard like um anecdotes like this very interesting yeah I guess like it's yeah it must be like empathy yeah put to an extreme yeah it must be like yeah I think it might be the uh, neurons working like excessively working in mirror again. Yeah. But where would you draw the line between being highly empathetic and mirror touch? It's not very clear to me yet uh, when does my empathy stops and when does the mirror touch starts, uh, mirror pain. I think they're like... Yeah, they kind of mingle and it's 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 like to me it's the same principle. It's just empathy taken to an extreme, you know? Mm -hmm. And actually when I was making the video for the BBC, my idea at first was to like start with like my perception of the world as someone with a mirror pain and then extend it to empathy in general, you know, to a more universal like concept that like most people on earth uh, have. And it was I didn't like managed to find uh, a good a good connection between both. I mean, a good, like, because they're both being studied, but they're both pretty new, you know, like, in your mm -hmm. sciences. Um, so I don't think there is enough, like, knowledge on them, or maybe I don't know about them, but, like, to from what I know, I don't think there is enough knowledge on the subject to know and to, like, make a, a clear difference between both. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting yeah. you say that because I like in preparation of this episode I like I just came across these questions and when we a couple of days ago had a chat about the episode I left the call a bit confused because what you said resonated so much with me. I still knew that I don't feel other people's pain, but just the way you described how you go through life and like the trauma you hold because of that reminded me so much of my own childhood and youth and it, it's, it's quite interesting to <laughs> to not talk about color associations for a minute and really dive into what is empathy and what mm. it's so intriguing so when I started going to therapy I like you described didn't know how to uh, tell myself that what is happening doesn't happen to me like if someone would feel sadness and they don't 
like that's different with emotions you don't even have to talk about them they're just in the room right so they're a bit more visible than like a headache so if mm. people were very sad but we didn't talk about it I would feel someone else's sadness and I would walk away with it and it actually could intoxicate my next couple of hours until I finally understood <laughs> what was going on through mm. therapy but also I, I really had to train these skills to entangle my emotional state from the other person's emotional state. And it was a really, really, really hard, long process to get there. Can you yeah. relate, relate to that? Oh, yeah, I do a lot. Like, to me, it's like the, I think the trickier response is um, sadness. I mean, like all kind of um, emotional pain. And I can't, I can't really explain it. I think like physical pain is like something in itself and emotional pain is something in itself. But I feel like emotional pain leaves wounds. I mean, so does physical pain. But I feel like, you know, if you have a, like a an injury on your body, it hurts a lot and you go through the process of healing and it takes time and then you need to rebuild your your body so that it goes back to where it started, if it's possible. But it's something that you can actually... Uh, see and actually work on you know it's like you see the wound and you treat the wound and it gets better and you see the healing process but I feel like with emotional pain it's like it's so abstract it's just like something that goes that takes place within your body and you like you never actually see it so you just like you experience it and then it gets stored like in your memory or it gets like processed I don't know but you, you don't you don't see how it's how it's taking place and I think it's I find it harder to heal from like those kind of wounds because they are completely like they're transparent somehow you know and you don't know how much they like impact you until like maybe sometimes years later and you're like whoa that thing I'm still thinking about I've built a whole like mechanism like to avoid that kind of situation because my brain stored that one memory that was like so painful that my entire existence uh, is like built around the idea that we have to avoid that kind of pain again because it's unbearable, you know? Yeah. And unreachable. And as you say, like, yeah, therapy can can help a lot to, like, take those pains out and, like, deconstruct them and look at them and, like, learn from them. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I feel like the, the annoying part about mirror pain is that it doesn't really have any benefit. Like the only benefit I can see is that people like you wouldn't harm other people or the planet because it's like unbearable. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> I never thought about it like that. But yeah, I, I've. It's a tricky one because I've always like seen it as a burden. Like I, I was like, uh, there's a chapter in like Joel Salinas' book that is devoted to is it a gift or a burden? And his mm -hmm. approach is so interesting because. He manages, like, when I read it, I was like, whoa, that's actually a gift, you know? I was like, I was so happy. I was like, I can make the world a better place. And, you know, this is like, this is amazing. And so I read that. I'm very happy. And then, like, I think two hours later, I'm like, nah, this is a burden. Like, there's nothing positive about it. <laughs> so I, I, I need to, like, reread that chapter from time to time, twist mm -hmm. how I perceive the thing and try to, exactly as you say, like, it, it forces you maybe to be like a good person because like I, I can't harm anything or anyone. I think I must have harmed like people in my life, but like I I think I, I tend to do it less than maybe if I wasn't so aware of like, how pain can affect you. And yeah. so, yeah, I guess, yeah, that's a good thing about it. Yeah, I think it's a very long process until you actually get to the point of appreciating it. Yeah, I agree. I do see the gift completely, of course. I think it's super special. But yeah, I also don't want to invalidate that it is extremely hard most of the time. Mm. And also the probably the potential trauma it causes. Yeah, I think I think I will manage one day to see it as a gift. You know, when you have like enough experience and like Yes. Once I've managed to like take enough distance as like Joel Salinas does like amazing at it and I think I can get there we can all get there like all the mirror pain people out there <laughs> it's doable mm -hmm. I think it takes a lot of training and like I think the day I'll, I get there I'll be like yeah I was granted a gift and 
that's pretty yeah. lucky, <laughs> you know? I yeah. don't know. I hope so. 100%. No, I'm 100% sure that you will get there. Mm. And I can just tell you, even though if it, it's not the same, I can completely distance myself from other people's emotions now. Mm. So if I got there in a couple of years, I think you can totally get there in like, I don't know, a couple months more. <laughs> well, thank you, Mike. <laughs> I like your, your trust and hopefulness. I will have the same. Yeah, I think like what helps me the most is um, the people around me who like truly understand me. When you feel like you're with someone who like understands you and can protect you if you become overwhelmed, then you have like more space to explore and like be vulnerable, you know? And I think it's what you need. You need to like see your vulnerability in order to like let the emotions happen and, and be able then to like look at the emotions and just let them go, you know? And that's why I want to like talk about mirror touch uh, and mirror pain so much is because having this condition is like so detrimental to yourself, your sense of self and like your like development, you know, as a, as a human beings that I, I really wish like more people knew about the condition. So more people could know about themselves, but also like more people around those people were aware because when you're aware, like, you, you're more compassionate and if you have a friend who has like mirror pain and you know about mirror pain you can be like hey let me help you out let me be there for you when you need and I think it will be like yeah knowing more about the this condition will make like the world uh, a more compassionate place for sure oh yeah for sure yeah one thing I had to think about a lot in preparation to this is that like it must influence your partner preference in some way because you really need a person that is willing to take care of their body, not only for them, but also for you. It's very interesting. I never, I actually never thought about it in these terms, <laughs> but I think it's very true. And I actually do that. I, yeah, I think I like tend to like pick partners that are like more compassionate than average, you know, um, mm -hmm. because I need, I need to be understood, of course, but I so like, I think it gives you like it like it shapes your like perception of the world so much that like to have that feeling of belonging you need someone who like actually perceives the world a little more like you do but for the um, yeah for the taking care of your body thing is very true because I, I used to be with someone who like took uh, extreme risks you know with their bodies mm -hmm. and because it was their way of like enjoying life on earth you know <laughs> by taking risks and I yeah. found it, instead of embracing it and, and being like, oh, yeah, that's great. It's part of you, who you are. I felt it was, like, very disrespectful, like, very selfish and even kind of mean because I was like, you don't even, like, uh, take into consideration how much pain you can, like, trigger in other people than yourself. Yeah, exactly. Like, the this is my health. It's none of your business. That kind of sentence just doesn't exist anymore. Your health is my business. Yeah, the exactly. You, the way you treat your body is my business. So I, I just need someone to understand it. Like, and not only a romantic partner, but also like just people you live with. I think people you see on a daily basis or close family members, I think it can be very harmful to uh, yeah, be with someone that doesn't respect how much it impacts your health. Mm, yes, it's true. And then it's the same for emotions. Um, and I think that's uh, true for every like child-parent relationship. Kids are often very sensitive. So it's the parent's job to not be like, well, my emotion, my work stress, that's my business. It's not like, it's none of your business kind of thing. If you're sensitive and, and you haven't learned how to manage it yet, it is super invasive if your closest people around you don't take care of themselves physically or emotionally. It's true, yeah, because it leaks. Like, you know, we think like we're like kind of, I'm sure that's a better way to say this, but I don't have it. But like, we think we're like waterproof, you know, <laughs> that we're like, everything stays inside and we're like, we don't have any like influence on others. But it's crazy how much of ourselves like actually leak on like other people's and like, how much influence we have by, for instance, being angry, you know? Um, yeah. It can be good to be like, to make sure you're aware of what's going on inside you. 
and to make sure you don't like impact the world in in too much of a bad way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the responsibility just lays on both sides. Of course, like I'm, I can't make other people responsible for my mental health, like not completely at least. But mm -hmm. I, yeah, what I would want is that people try to understand what certain things trigger in someone else, especially with a condition like mirror touch is that just needs another layer of compassion to make it work mm -hmm. I was also wondering if you would <laughs> it's a bit of an odd question but if you would have a best friend or a sister or a female romantic partner and they would give birth and you're in the room like would you have the same labor pain do you have any take on that <laughs> oh, it's interesting <laughs> uh, I don't think I could make it Probably not. Like, I mean, if I if I had to, if that person like was in her like life like was threatened, I think yeah, yeah I would have this like survival mode uh, activated yeah. as we talked earlier. But otherwise, like if they're being taken care of by uh, of by someone and like I just need to be in the room, I don't think I would take. I can take it. That's like yeah. <laughs> And even, even, you know, in like even thinking about it, just like I'm not in the room right now, just like thinking about it right now, I have like pain in like in my like entire like belly. Yeah. Like, sorry for that. No, no, no worries. But like, you know, even the thought about it is like almost unbearable. So I don't even know what it would be to be like in the room. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let's change topic. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would like to hear about your like daily life um, and the techniques you found for yourself, maybe through therapy or just while growing up. But before we do that, um, I had a conversation with Professor Jamie Ward. We spoke about the relationship between synesthesia and mental health problems. Yeah, let's just listen to that part of our conversation and then we can get back to our conversation. Okay, so we've had a whole set of projects uh, around synesthesia. I, I mean, one of the things about synesthesia is, is that it is so diverse. So th there is a whole kind of question about whether you should be studying synesthesia as a, you know, as one thing, or whether you should be studying, for example, people who have synesthesia for pain. And this might be completely different from people who have synesthesia for uh, for music. So um, we've, we've got a whole set of uh, things around us. We are looking at musicality and synesthetes and seeing, you know, how that relates to visual experiences to music. Uh, we've looked at whether or not people experience the pain of others. So some people say, hang on, this isn't uh, synesthesia, this is just empathy. But, but actually, there's a whole group of people who, when they see somebody, for example, you know, having an injection, they would say, ouch, I feel that on my hand or my arm uh, as well. Maybe not as intensely, but it's there. And it's something that not everybody does. And it does seem to be synesthesia. So we're, we, we're looking at kind of uh, shared pain. We call it mirror touch synesthesia or mirror pain is uh, what we would call this. Um, we're looking at links between synesthesia and other things. So uh, does synesthesia... Um, is it associated with better cognitive abilities, like better memory, better creativity? Or can it make you more vulnerable to certain things like mental health problems? Or uh, are you more likely to go uh, down the autism spectrum if you have synesthesia? So these are the things that we're looking at at the moment. And do you have any results on that, specifically the connection to mental health problems, or is that still to be found out? The the connection between synesthesia and autism has been um, fairly well documented now. I have to say that people ask me this question uh, quite a lot when I started doing synesthesia research. It was always, always, no, why would there be a link? It doesn't make any sense. But actually, I, I'm a convert, and there, there is a link. Um, why there's a link and how, how we look at that we, isn't entirely clear. What we find is that there are some aspects of autism that, that go very strongly with uh, synesthesia. Some of those are actually the, the abilities linked to autism. So spotting uh, details missed by others, attention to detail, noticing things, uh, more sensory aspects of autism. So finding sounds and lights unusually intense or aversive, this goes with it. But some of the more standard traditional symptoms of autism like social functioning, uh, not being able to figure out what others are thinking or feeling does actually go 
uh, with, with synesthesia as well, but not as strongly as the more sensory aspects of autism. So that's definitely there. Um, we've looked uh, at other things. The, the jury's out on things like anxiety. There's no evidence for depression. There's no evidence that synesthesia is linked to migraine. There's no evidence that synesthesia is linked to schizophrenia. Um, there's a suggestion that things like PTSD uh, might be linked to synesthesia. Again, why? Why would having coloured letters and numbers make you more likely to have uh, hold on to traumatic memories? Uh, yeah. And, and here, I, I think it might be that it's not the coloured letters and numbers that are relevant. It's the fact that synesthetes think differently. So synesthetes are more likely to think in mental images. They might have more visual ways of thinking and visual ways of remembering. And actually, it might be that style of thinking that makes them particularly vulnerable to flashbacks rather than having, you know, colours or tastes or any of the other defining stuff about synesthesia. And that makes synesthesia so relevant to the mental health area, doesn't it? If it has a potential connection for PTSD. Exactly, yes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So PTSD and autism, they, they, there's some good evidence, maybe anxiety as well. And the anxiety, again, the question is why? You know, is it more to do with worrying? Or is it might maybe that if you're anxious, you're uh, you're more sensitive to feeling your own breathing and your heart rate, or you misinterpret, or you uh, reimagine your own heart rate, rate as racing when it isn't, and that causes it to race. Uh, you know, so is, is it the more kind of sensory aspects of anxiety, or is it the uh, the, the kind of more thought patterns linked to anxiety? And these are the kinds of areas that are a little bit grey that we're trying to figure out. What I find very, very interesting about the connection between synesthesia and trauma response. Can you imagine that people with synesthesia are more vulnerable to develop PTSD? PTSD is post-traumatic stress disorder for those that don't know the term. So that's, what's it called? <laughs> a disorder we develop after being exposed to traumatic events, uh, like maybe a, only a single event or repeatedly. And yeah, we develop PTSD. Not everybody does, but for synesthetes, it's more likely after a traumatic event to develop PTSD. And I don't think there's much research on it yet, but I, I did find a paper by Professor Jamie Ward, who we've just heard, describing that since the synesthetic brain thinks in a different way, like it often uses um, mental images, it thinks in more visual ways than the neurotypical brain, it is more likely to uh, hold on to like traumatic events because it, it thinks so visually, like it's more likely to have flashbacks and yeah, like holding on to these traumatic images. And I think that's so scary. Um, hmm. Yeah, I think it's um, it's a very tricky subject, and I and I I didn't know about it, so it's a bit like I think I would need to think more about it to like grasp what it truly means. So does yeah. it say like uh, does it say like um, you could get like PTSD from um, things that didn't happen to you just by watching them, for instance? So I think that's it. That it's I think it's not discussed in the paper, but I think that's what the two of us kind of experience like I had patients in my job with PTSD so I'm not trying to in any way say I have PTSD it's it's a lot more than that but what I do feel like is due to my high empathy and like not being able to, to do the distinction between what is my feeling and what's the other person's feeling and like violence on TV and stuff I do think I hold like mild trauma and a lot of images I can't let go of. So yeah, I think that's maybe something you you can relate to as well. Um, because when I was like younger, I I didn't know how much it would affect me. So I would watch things and, um, you know, the movies, for instance, because all everyone around me was like sitting still and be quite happy. So I was like, yeah, I guess like that's how I'm supposed to behave as well. So I would like force myself to watch things. And yeah, there are like um, four movies uh, that I've watched that like have left like like I feel like my like soul as I don't, I don't know, it doesn't really make sense, but like my soul has been injured, you know, like in mm -hmm. the sense that I have like I still carry these movies, but I think I I don't I I carry the pain that like 
people on earth are capable of doing these things to other people you know and it's like yeah i feel it's like my my trust in humanity that has been injured and that's why i consider it like a trauma because every time i like think about them like my body gets like you know freezes <laughs> like yeah as if as if it had like experienced it but i think what i experienced is like getting aware that like other humans being are capable of like atrocious like things and yeah but you're describing a very cool part of trauma there or ptsd losing the trust in humanity and losing the seeing the likelihood of being exposed to something you didn't think was possible before really that that is a a core part yeah it's yeah i mean it's exactly how i feel and you think you you feel you can like never recover from that i have this like it feels a little bit like so shallow to be like oh yeah i suffer from trauma from something that never happened to me so how are the people who like who experience who actually experience the thing are supposed to feel you know and i feel like it already made me like carry some shame because I was like, I don't want to steal your pain. I don't want to like pretend that I'm living the same thing, but still I can't like ignore, you know, what, what's actually like weighing so like heavily on my, on my heart, you know? And I, I remember when I first, like uh, I was in junior high and I first heard about like second world war because we were like studying it, you know? And it made me cry like for so many days. I, I would come back home like from school and cry and cry and cry because it was like so unfathomable, you know, like the fact that, yeah, like we as a species are like crazy enough to come up with like ways of ma- massive destruction that are like completely like pure madness, you know. And and then you, you're like, yeah, I, be, I belong, you know, to that like species. I'm I'm one of them, you know, and it's like you have to mourn that you have to mourn that like. Yeah, the world is like that place where things like that are possible. And and you're one of them, I mean, you know? And mm-hmm. and also like your means of helping are like extremely restricted. So you, you you live with like pain and shame and like you actually can't do much about it, you know? You can like be a good person. Yeah, you're like, completely act, helpless. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And you can work on a daily basis or like, oh yeah, I think that would make the work the better place and do it. But like it seems so like insignificant and small compared to yeah the the massive like you know it's a huge imbalance i think and it stays there forever like what you can do to make the world a better place and how the world is how the world actually is you know yeah 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 i completely agree i i would still describe the day i found out about global warming as one of the most traumatic days <laughs> in my life i was very young I did not have the brain to comprehend what it means. But all I understood from that, well, I, after that, I couldn't watch the news for ages. And I also stopped watching the news in adult life. It's better now. But yeah, I'm very, very unhappy that as a kid, I got to see that uh, very disturbing news. Um, I don't know, a couple minutes about global warming and all I took away from it was okay we're all gonna die in like the next couple of years we're all gonna die <laughs> because I couldn't understand it and I still I can still see the images that were on tv and they haunted me at night like I had these flashbacks of what I saw and that yeah I feel sucks. you mm, and were you like uh were you a little kid you know how old you were I I'd say like primary school, maybe oh, yeah, that's very young. Maybe seven or eight. Way too young to understand it. Yeah, I think there is like, I think there is an issue with like uh, news on TV. And, you know, for years I was so ashamed to be like, and especially because I trained to be a journalist like 10 years ago. Because mm-hmm. I was like, you know, like, yeah, make the world a better place. And then I realized like, yeah, I actually can't, like I can't face things enough. Uh, to you know change anything uh, to mm-hmm. that like level so and I was so ashamed because I can't I can't watch the news I can't even like listen to the radio you know like because like it makes me so sad like it impacts my day so much that I can't even like function properly you know if I hear something horrible then like the rest of my day is like yeah it's gone I 
all I think about is like this, you know, I can't focus on anything else and I can't have anything done. So it was like my way of protecting myself was like, okay, I'm going to stop doing this. I'm going to stop watching the news and like listening to the radio. And I felt like there was so much. Uh, so I, I, I hid it from people because I know it's shameful. But I, then I, I, I tried to understand like, why is it so shameful? Why would it be normal to like every single day listen for like 30 minutes to an hour to like horrible things that happen all around the world? I don't think like the human brain is like made to go through like so much misery, you know? When there was like no TV or radio, you just knew about the misery and the horrors like from your village, you know? And it was enough. Like it was already like much for your brain to process. And now we have like, we have access to like the misery of the the entire world. Yeah. It's funny you say that because it's crazy. Four years ago, I was part of a research team. Um, we went to the Indonesian rainforest and stayed with a tribe in the highlands of Papua for a month. And there was no uh, phone reception and no internet connection. So there was no way to get any news from outside the world. I remember thinking, okay, Paris could blow up right now. <laughs> All of Europe could blow up. I don't know. Uh, I wouldn't, they they, I wouldn't know. We only had like a, a phone with, we could send a couple text messages when there was GPS. So it was only the tribe we stayed in and then a couple smaller, same tribe, but like smaller. <laughs> I know you had to walk like half an hour to get to their houses. So all the news, like you just said, were uh, mouth to mouth. It's that how we call it? I don't know. There was no newspaper, nothing. Um, and that was the exact amount of world I was able to comprehend. It was perfect. I didn't feel overwhelmed. I just knew what was going to happen, how we get information from there to there, um, when the next um, missionary plane would come and leave and all of that. That gave me so much peace of mind. Yeah, I think that's, you know, I there is this saying in French, I guess you have the, the, the there is the same in English, but like, c'était mieux avant, it means like, it was better in the, in the days. <laughs> and I think like every single generation that ever existed thought that at some point, you know, because you have like this romantic vision of how the past is. And, but I, I think it's, I don't think it's like actually true, but I think it might be true for like, well, like, completely overwhelmed by knowledge of what's happening in the rest of the world. I'd, I think it yeah. has like a very negative impact on our brains. And it, it makes, instead of making us more compassionate because we're like, oh, like, you know, I think it, it did for, um, for some time when you like, you knew that like, oh, people like in this country so far away, like actually live like us and think like us. Then, then it was a great thing. We like, you know, it was a movement forward. But yeah, these things of like knowing all atrocities at any time in the day or at night is like very unhealthy for the human brain, I'd say. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And I, I get that you felt ashamed. Like we all want, even though it's so hard to bear, we want to be these informed political young adults that have an opinion and so yeah, exactly and also you don't want to live in a bubble you know you don't want to be like protect i mean i don't want to do that i don't want to be protected from any everything and like not being able to bear anything that's i don't i don't think it's a life to live you know i wish i could like actually see things listen to things build an opinion and like act on it but also so this is like my ideal but like my reality is different and i think instead of like being judgmental and being like harsh on myself and trying to be like more like what my ideal is or what like people ideals is I think like yeah I think compassion compassion is the key for so many things actually in life and it's one of these things that I think having compassion and being like it's actually too much for me and it's okay you know um, yeah I don't have yeah. to be on top of every little fight in the world and be like and know everything about it because it hurts and hurting is like part of life and I need to like acknowledge it and respect it and leave my you know leave myself some space to just be because like life is already like especially for someone that lives life so deeply as you do could you share a couple like techniques you found maybe you can name a couple things you decided to avoid or um yeah I don't know maybe things you've learned 
in therapy, things, how to deal with the trauma that your mirror pain caused and yeah, how you, how you make your day to day now. Yeah. Unfortunately, I'm not on top of the game yet. <laughs> I, my, my major, like my main technique is avoidance and I, I don't think it's ideal. And I'm working on like, um, taking things in and like taking distance, but I'm, I'm so far away from it right now. I, I am unable to do it, but that's my goal. But now I'm, I'm just avoidant. So I, I have a really good sense now. I de de develop like a kind of radar <laughs> when I watch like movies or anything really. Uh, there's like very often a slight change in like tone, music, pace, you know, in movies before it becomes like yeah. unbearable for me. So I know when it is and I just like forward until it's bearable. But, and I do the same for like when, and I, yeah, I, I have a new technique now, which is like, It's great because it's taking me out of that like shame system I was stuck in for so long. It's like when people tell me a story and I know it's going to like leave traces on my mind. It's going to like shock me and hurt me for too long. I don't think I need to take that anymore. I used to be like, okay, I'll take it because like that's the social game. You need to like listen to people's stories and like, and then I'll deal with whatever. I don't want to deal with whatever anymore. So now I just, when someone is like about to tell me something that is, too hard for me to bear i just tell them i just tell them like i'm sorry i can't uh listen to that right now it's it's going to be overwhelming manage to surround yeah. myself with like more compassionate people and when i say that they're like actually respect my needs and they're like oh, okay sure never mind you know yeah and yeah it's a good step for me to be able to like speak for myself and yeah i think this is i think like shame is central I mean, it was to me, and if, like, anyone with mirror pain, like, listens to this, I think, like, the main thing to do is, like, to get rid of the shame. Because I, I now think that there is nothing shameful about this, you know? It's just, like, how my brain works, and it's wired a different way, and it's fine, you know? And it deserves, like, respect <laughs> as any other brain. Yeah, once you get rid of the shame, you can, like... There there are so many open doors, and then, then if you, like open that door you get like you're on the way to healing i think yeah the only way to belong even if it's not like by being understood by others because it's very hard to understand like because it's not something you can actually show like apart from a FMR, brain scan well yeah exactly apart from you know if i took a brain scan to show them oh look my that part of my brain activates when it's not supposed to and like but that's the only way so it's like an invisible you know like condition and so it's a long way <laughs> But maybe one technique from me being a, a synesthete and a psychologist, I don't know if it will help you, but um, when I had a very overwhelming day, what I do when I go to bed, I give myself time to let, like my brain is, is so visual, it just does it immediately and automatically, but I Sometimes when I know the day was too much, I just do it a bit more conscious and it really helps me. So I would just close my eyes and then just watch it like like a show. Like I can just watch all the images from the day coming and leaving. And at some point it's done. It's amazing. Well done. That's a great technique. It takes like a, a lot of like strength, I think, to be able to like go back to pain and look at it and but it's like you know i do meditation a lot i think it's like actually mm -hmm. saving my life on so many levels because yeah it enables to like you to take so much distance from like your emotions and what you go through and it's like it makes me think of like a meditation that i do where you like you just see your emotions and thought are clouds in the sky yeah and i definitely see the connection to meditation but it's a lot more practical than that it's very strange like it's not It's not a mindfulness exercise. <laughs> it's okay. really, it, it really just feels like <laughs> there's no better way to describe it. I'm thinking about like a very old school dia show when they put these old <laughs> photos, like these negatives into a projector. And it feels a bit like that. I'm just watching a dia show where, where you have this click sound. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's great. So you, I just watch it and it's like, well, it's annoying. I would rather do something else, but my brain just does it. And at the end of the DS show, it's like someone just takes this dusty 
or not yet dusty shoebox and puts it in the shelf and it's done and we don't have to take care of it anymore and I'm not going to carry it into the next day. Yeah, I love this. It's, yeah. Maybe you can... You I can will try. <laughs> I will give it a try and let you know if it... It's definitely not the solution to everything, but it does help me. And I think it is a good way to ease sensory overstimulation. Yeah, thank you for the tip. Yeah, I I, I have to deal with that. And I think they, they made a connection between mirror pain and um, sensory overload. I think it's like, oh, yeah. Most um, likely, most yeah. likely. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, good. I think we're going to wrap it up here. One hour 15. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good. It was super interesting. Thank you so much for sharing your story. My pleasure. Everything related to it and... Yeah, I wish you all the very, very best for your journey. I'm very hopeful that it will, yeah, you will just learn more and more skills. Like uh, what will naturally happen? Like you won't go a step back. Only you're only doing steps forward from exactly. here. Exactly. I love that. Thank you so much. Thank you, Maike, for your time and for like giving voice to synesthetes. I think it's a very important thing to do. Thank you. That's very kind of you to say. Let's keep in touch and have a good rest of the day. And I'll go to bed now. <laughs> Thank you, Mikey. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to Let's Talk Synesthesia. There'll be a new episode of Series 1 every Tuesday. If you enjoyed listening, you can like, follow and share. Details about the podcast and how to connect with today's speakers can be found in the show notes. The executive producer was Micah Pricing with music by Corinne Anderson and the podcast was supported by a couple more neurodivergent people in the background. See you next week.